Take your Bibles and turn, if you will, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We're kind of in the home stretch here as we complete our walk through the book of Ephesians. Brown Mountain is one of the mountains in the Smoky Mountain Range that's located down on the southern end of Pisgah National Forest. I remember when I was a kid, I don't remember how old I was. I remember dad loaded us up one night, put us in our Chrysler station wagon and drove us down to Morganton or outside of Morganton there in Burke County. And there at an overlook on the lower end of the Linville Gorge, we just sat there in the dark for a while. But I remember these lights appearing down in the valley there. They are the Brown Mountain Lights. And they have been studied for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Smithsonian Institute, the the U.S. Nuclear Commission, anthropologists and archaeologists, the Smithsonian Institute, National Weather Service, all of them have come and studied these lights, and nobody can really nail down what they are and why they're there. All they got to do is ask Cherokee. Because the Cherokee Indians say that somewhere around 1200 A.D., there was a battle on Brown Mountain between the Cherokees and the Catawbas. And those lights are those Indian maidens still looking for their warriors who died in battle. It's not that complicated. All you got to do is ask somebody that knows. Those lights are mysterious, but they're there. Back in 1989, in his inaugural address, President Bush, H.W. Bush, shared a vision of a thousand points of light. His vision for thousands of Americans just making a difference as points of light. We've seen for a couple of weeks, looked back at what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8. He says, at one time you were darkness. He's talking to all of us. At one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Children of light. It echoes what he says in Philippians, all right? You remember this in chapter 2, starting in verse 14? He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation in which you, listen to this, shine as lights in the world. Mysterious lights. Points of light. Children of light. Christian families, Christian individuals, walking a walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called, are mysterious, unexplained in our culture, points of light, shining against the backdrop of the darkness. And nowhere is this light seen more clearly than in a biblical definition and understanding of human sexuality, marriage, and what the family is. And so, I don't know if you've noticed, don't fall off your seat, 
but we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. Right? Things have changed. Carl Truman says, Things once regarded as obvious and unassailable virtues have in recent years been subject to rigorous criticism and indeed, in some cases, are seen by many as more akin to vices. Indeed, he says, it can seem that if things that almost everybody believed in an unquestioned orthodoxy day before yesterday, i.e. that marriage is between one man and one woman, for example, that is now regarded as heresy advocated by a dangerous lunatic fringe. That's how light is seen in a dark world, as a dangerous lunatic fringe. He goes on to say, the problems are not confined to the world out there. Often, he says, they manifest themselves most acutely and most painfully within our families. Parents teaching their traditional family virtues of sex find themselves met with incomprehension by their children who have absorbed a far different view from the culture around them. And the result, he says, is often confusion and sometimes even heartbreak, as many of the most brutal engagements in the cultural war are played out around the dinner table and at family gatherings. Welcome, he says, to a strange new world. You may not like it, but it is where you live, and therefore it's important that you try to understand it. I go one step further. Not only is it important that we try to understand it, it is important that we engage it. And it's important that we engage it as strangers and aliens in this world, odd, countercultural, and biblical, and holding to God's standards of love and purity, sexuality, and family. That's the call. Now, this light that we shine is not a loud, arrogant spotlight. It is little points of light, like you'd look through the window into a living room from a dark street. It's just little points of light, faithful moms and dads and grandparents, faithful single Christians. It's faithful Lamps on a table that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's faithful lights that are not put under a bushel, but are allowed to shine. And so what Paul is talking about in this last section of Ephesians is spirit-filled, spirit-fueled walk with Christ. A spirit-filled, spirit-fueled marriage. A spirit-filled, spirit-fueled parenting Spirit-filled, spirit-fueled, biblical understanding of work and of what it means to be a faithful employee and employer. What Paul is explaining in these last two chapters, as we'll see in Ephesians chapter 6, is that this spirit-filled, spirit-fueled walk will be in the middle of a spiritual battle. Right? Right? And, and what we see is that while this battlefield is broad, it's universal, it's expansive, we saw that in the book of Revelation, the engagements in this war are little pockets around your dinner table, in your bedroom, in your office, in our relationships with our children and our grandchildren. You see, 
What we're going to do today is kind of give an overview. And we're going to go from the throne room, eternal throne room of God, into your living room. Into your bedroom. Around your kitchen table and into your office. We're kind of going to do an overview, if you will. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 5. And follow along as I read. I'm going to pick up the reading in verse 15 of chapter 5. And I'm not sure where I'll quit. You just follow along till we stop, okay? All right, so God's Word says in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now the church, excuse me, now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might or the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, excuse me, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I'll stop there. All right. Let's pray right quick. Lord. 
We just thank you for this word. We thank you for the culmination of the book of Ephesians that comes home to rest, Lord, in each of our hearts, in each of our homes. And we pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will indeed enlighten our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand, Lord, what is the hope of our calling, the hope that we have in Christ. What is the glorious riches that are ours as your children, the inheritance in the saints. And Lord, help us understand what is the immeasurably great power that is available to us through Christ. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead. Because God, we need it. We need it to be the church and the individuals and the families and the husbands and the wives. The children, the employers, the employees. We need it, God, to walk a walk worthy of the calling that you've given us. And so we humbly ask that and we thank you for it in advance in Christ's name. Amen. So that's an overview of where we're going to be going over the next several weeks. And so as we enter into this home stretch, if you will, it, it's not going to be a real short home stretch. Okay, it's not like a hundred yard dash. All right. We're going to have a series of sermons, two series, if you will, that kind of wrap up the book of Ephesians. First, we're going to have a series of sermons starting today about what the spirit-filled life looks like at home. What the spirit-filled life looks like for us to walk as individuals within our relationships, within our marriages, within our parenting, within our workplace, to see what that looks like. But see, God's plan and purpose that was founded before the foundation of the world is very personal. And it's very practical for where you're at in your walk and where I'm at in my walk. God's eternal plan goes to work with us, goes to bed with us, goes to dinner with us, goes into our home. In fact, John Stott said this, and I really appreciate this. The divine family, meaning big family, big church, ceases to be a credible concept if it is not subdivided into human families that display God's love. What he says is this. What's the point of peace in the church if there is no peace at home? I thought about doing this Google Earth series of slides and just decided not to. But just imagine we're looking at this satellite picture of the world, of at least of the Western Hemisphere. That's God's eternal plan. Called in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. And we're going to see in just a minute how all of that is built upon the person of Jesus. Zero in, if you will, to the United States. Then go a little closer in and zero in on the state of North Carolina. Then zero in a little closer here on Person County and just imagine that you got that Google satellite image of 970 Leesburg Road. But inside of 970 Leesburg Road are all these families, all these households, all these individuals. And so this eternal plan of God that includes all the universe comes zeroing in on you and me as individuals and on our marriages and on our families and on our homes. That's where Ephesians ends and that's, and that's where we're going to go. God's eternal plan for us as individuals, as, as moms and dads. But then the second series that we're going to see... It's what this spirit-filled life looks like when it's at war. And that's how we'll close Ephesians chapter 6. Because you see, me living for Christ and you living for Christ 
in our marriages and in our homes and in our walks with Christ. That's visible, right? Our light is on the table, right? So people can see it. It's visible. But that visible walk with Christ is constantly being opposed by an invisible force. Principalities and powers he talks about here. And so we're going to see that this battle rages. But we remember, right? We remember it from a revelation. And we just remember it from the general picture of Scripture. That Jesus reigns. And that the enemy is defeated. But until God's appointed time, that battle continues to rage. But we stand. We withstand. And we do so confidently, victoriously. In the power of His strength. And in the armor and the, the strategy He gives us. That's, that's where we'll go eventually. So... God's eternal purposes from heaven's throne room right into our living room. Now, what I want to take a minute to do is just help us see why we're called to submit to one another. Why we're called to submit within our marriage to our husband. Why we're called to obey our parents. Why we're called to submit ourselves. Man, that's a tough word, isn't it? Submit. But why we're called to that in our workplace. And even more importantly than that, then why we're called to exhibit a Christ-like leadership that, wel- that we would welcomely submit ourselves to. We want to do that. And so Paul makes it clear in chapter 1 of Ephesians that the mystery of God's will. We've talked about this a lot. What is God's will? What is God's purpose? It is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Here's God's plan. Here's eternal purpose to unite all things in Christ. Right? We've already seen Jerome read. He is, he is head over the church. He is head over all things. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1, it starts at the very beginning. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Take your Bible and follow along with me as I read from chapter 1. And if you've got a pen, I want you to mark your Bible. I just, I think this is so helpful, at least in the book of Ephesians. I want you to mark where every time you see in Christ, in Him, just blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through faith. Excuse me. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. Verse 11, in him. You have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 12, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, 
we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And it continues. Now, my count, I think, was 11 times in those verses in Christ, in him, through him. Do you see what the focus is on? You see who the focus is on? It continues in chapter 2. God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Man, Paul, you're just hammering this thing to death, aren't you? Yeah, because in him is life. In him is the foundation for everything. Verse 10 says we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he determined beforehand that we should walk in them. Verses 13 and 14. In Christ Jesus, you who are far off been brought near. He himself is our peace. Verse 22. In him you are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Chapter 3. The mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members with the same body. And in verse 6, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. It wraps up in verses 14 through 21 in chapter 3 with the prayer that Jerome prayed for us and, and read over us. That Christ may dwell in our hearts. Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. That we'd be filled with the fullness of God. I remember preaching through this and we saying that the, the goal of this immeasurably greatness of Christ is that he would make his home in our hearts. That he's at home in our hearts. And in the end, the goal of everything is to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. And that's the goal. That's the goal of God. That's the goal of creation. And that's the goal of your life and your marriage and your children and your work in Christ Jesus. Glory be to God. And our calling is to walk worthy of that. To walk worthy of that. We're to call, that calling is to walk in a lifestyle that is so radically different from the world that wants to make much of me and my tribe and my position. If Jesus can be a part of that, that's good. But if not, that's not our calling. That's not our calling. So we're to walk in this odd countercultural life. And I'm not going to go back and we've been called to walk with an odd countercultural love that mimics our Heavenly Father. That follows the example of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. That follows the example of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us as an offering, a fragrant offering. Our lives and our love following the example of our Heavenly Father and following the example of our Savior is that we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice and it's a pleasing aroma to God, an odd countercultural love. We're called to an odd countercultural purity. No sexual immorality. Starvation diet when it comes to what the culture celebrates in that regard. We're not to laugh about it. We're not to joke about it. We're not to make it. It's not to be a part of our lives. And there's why we pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, because we're still called to engage this world and share the gospel to walk, if you will, into the temple square of the gods of this generation like JT and the team did this week in Utah. 
to walk into that with the gospel, to walk into that as the body of Christ, as his ambassador, and yet to not be part of that darkness. We're called to that countercultural purity. We're called to a countercultural odd intentionality. Redeem the time, Paul said, because the days are evil. We redeem it. We buy it back. We pay what is necessary so that we're not wasting our lives and wasting our opportunities and wasting the seasons that God gives us. And we're called to this odd countercultural sobriety. We're not going to let anything dim our perspective, dampen our alertness. We're not going to allow anything, not alcohol, not drugs, not politics, not the culture, not anything, take the edge off so that we're not as alert as we need to be. Instead, we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the command. And that command, I believe, is foundational to everything else that follows in the rest of the book. Be filled with the Spirit. And so being filled with the Spirit impacts us in this God-oriented way. We saw this last week. God-oriented in the way we see each other in our fellowship. Godward-oriented in the way we have conversations, the way we worship, the way we sing, the way we speak spiritual truth into each other's lives. A Godward orientation that makes us thankful people. A Godward orientation that humbles us and gives us this understanding that submissiveness is a part of our walk with Christ. So everything we see in Ephesians 5 and 6 assumes that those being addressed are filled with the Holy Spirit. This passage, this, 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 this section of Scripture is not for the unbelieving world. I'll talk more about that next week when we address the call to fathers. I know it's out of order. I know wives come next. But next week's Father's Day, and I'm going to just kind of take pastoral prerogative there, and we're going to talk about fathers next week. But even as we do that, it's only by the presence and power of God's Spirit that I'll be the man and Susan will be the woman that we've been called to be. It's only by the presence and power of God's Spirit that our marriage will be what it's supposed to be. It's only by the presence and power of God's Spirit that our parenting will be what it's supposed to be. It's only by the presence and power of God's Spirit that you'll be the single adult that you're called to be. And I'll talk about that. It's only by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that we will be the employer or the employee that we're called to be. Nothing can happen in this life apart from the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Which I just need to stop right now and ask you, is your life controlled by the Holy Spirit? Have you come to faith in Christ? Because we saw last week, we've never been commanded and never will be commanded in Scripture to be baptized with the Spirit. Or to receive the Spirit. Because that is a gift of grace given by God when you put your faith and trust in Christ. Have you come to Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? You can work your tail off to try to make your marriage better, but if you're not in Christ, it won't happen. Not in any significant way. You'll never be the mom and dad that God has called you to be apart from trusting in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and then parenting according to His pattern. You'll never be successful in God's eyes in your work either as an employee or employer, apart from faith in Christ. So come to Jesus. And one of the reasons we have a fairly strict wedding policy here at Westwood 
is because we recognize that apart from Christ, that marriage will fail. Now, you may stay together. You may stay in the same house. You may sleep in the same bed. But apart from Christ, it's not going to glorify God and not going to be what he designed marriage to be. So this whole section is, a, is addressed to spirit-filled believers. Now, why is the Holy Spirit such a big deal in this? I'm glad you ask. In John chapter 16, Jesus said this, starting in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Listen to what he says in verse 14. He will glorify me and will take what is mine and declare it to you. That idea there behind declare it to you or to make known is a is a big announcement. That's what the word means in the Greek language. And so the Holy Spirit's task is to take the big announcement of Jesus and make much of it in your life. The Holy Spirit's task is to make much of Christ, much of his person, much of his work, much of who he is, and bring it home into your heart, into your mind, and home into your home. So that's why I took the time to go back and just remind us from the book of Ephesians what it is that we are building all of this upon in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul prayed that God would give us the spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the way, of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So Paul is praying for the promise that God has given us in the Holy Spirit. That this Christ whom God has put all things under his feet, as he is Lord of our lives, our lives would reflect that in intensely practical, humble, self-denying ways. So here's the deal. Jesus is king. He is savior. He is the cornerstone. We've sung that. He's the redeemer. He's the Lord of all. And he's the foundation and motivation for everything else we're going to see in the rest of the book of Ephesians. Okay. Jesus is the reason and the pattern for God ordained authority and submission. That'll be the, really the first thing that we see. We submit to Christ. And in submitting to Christ, we submit to one another. Right? We do it in the fear of Christ. That doesn't mean we live in the terror of Jesus. It means we stand in awe of him as our king and as our judge. And he's the head of the church. We'll talk about that term head. And it's often seen that we try to take the edge off of this idea of submission and this idea of headship and authority. This is a military term. This is a term that speaks about orders of structure and authority. And that structure and authority begins first in the very Godhead, the nature of God. Then it works its way into the church and then it works its way into the home. And sometimes the edge, we try to take the edge off of that by saying that headship refers to source, like the head of a river or the head of a, a stream, you know, that, that, that spring or whatever it is, that's, that's it. And there's an element of truth in that, but that's not what this is saying. This is a picture of authority. Jesus is the head of the church. And we submit to him in that regard. And out of reverence to him, we submit to that authority and headship that he's given us in these other areas of relationship. And that requires that we be filled with the Spirit. In submitting to Christ out of reverence and awe for him, we submit to one another. 
In submitting to Christ out of reverence and awe of Him, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because we submit to Christ and obey Him as our King, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right or righteous or fulfilling of God's law. Because Jesus is King and we're called to submit to Him, bondservants or slaves, submit to your earthly masters. We'll talk about slavery. We'll talk about what biblical picture of slavery is and is not in regard to our American history. But regardless of that, or in light of that, this is still an applicable point in how we relate to those in our work environment. And so, employees... Obey your boss as you would obey Christ. And do so from your heart, not just for show. And boss, take care of your employees. Respect them. Lead them in a Christ-like way, out of reverence to Christ, because Christ is the judge of you and those who work for you, and you will both give an account to him one day. So that's the foundation for that, Christ-like recognition of authority and submission. And then we'll look at this Christ-like picture of love and sacrifice. Christ is the example for us as spirit-filled leadership leads like Christ, is humble like Christ, loves like Christ, sacrifices like Christ, sanctifies in the pattern of Christ. That's the image we have here. And out of reverence to Christ, those leaders that God has ordained to be a part of our lives, love and serve and sacrifice for those, we're delighted to submit to that kind of leadership. It's not a burden. We'll talk about that. Children. In fact, I've thought about, I wonder, if, I wonder if I need to do this message. When we come to this, do we just need to just have a, a, a 30 minute long children's sermon? Yes. Well, but I'm going to be preaching to you too, Brenda. It's not just for kids, okay? But we've got to be careful about what we amen, all right? So, but I appreciate the feedback. But, but I thought about that because children, if you love Jesus and want to honor him and obey him, You have to honor and obey your parents. And parents, I'm not going to say what I was thinking. Parents, I was talking about something, I was thinking about something I'd say to a group of dads, but I'm not going to say it here. But parents, just be the mom and dad. Be the mom and dad. We're not called to be our children's best friend. We're called to be their mommy and daddy. With a leadership structure and authority structure and rules that honor God and exemplify the pattern that's for us in Scripture. We'll talk about that, what it means to honor God in our obedience and in our parenting. And then we'll look into our offices and into our workplaces. We'll take some time to talk about what it means to honor God with our lives in the work that we're called to do as unto the Lord. I'm clocking in for Jesus in the morning. I'm teaching for Jesus. I'm working for Christ. That's the perspective of the believer. And out of reverence to him and because I will one day answer to him, I'm going to do my best. And then because of our reverence to Christ and our submission to Christ, we will face a spiritual enemy and we'll face a spiritual war. And even as we do that, we see that our king reigns supreme and the victory is promised. So that's that's where we're going over the next several weeks.
Let me give you a couple of things just to encourage you to read and pray and apply even out of this message. First, what is God's ordained goal for the creation? It is that Christ would be exalted, that everything would be united in Christ. So whether you are single or married, to magnify Christ is the goal of your life. And in your daily life, that daily grind, and it is a grind, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work, this idea that we are to magnify Christ brings a whole new dimension, a whole new picture of opportunity, a whole new picture of purpose. So just meditate on that this week. Think about that. And pray that. Jerome prayed for us through Ephesians chapter 3, this morning early, as I was thinking about how to wrap this up and apply it, I, I thought about praying Ephesians 1.18 in the context of this message and the context of where we're going. Here's how I would suggest you do that. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, would continue to grow in me the knowledge of Him. That, Lord, you'd open the eyes of my heart to see and know the hope to which you have called me, the hope I have in Christ. And, God, that you would consistently remind me of the wealth and the riches that I have in Christ and that the wealth and the riches of this world are worthless compared to him. And that I would lead my family to seek the riches and the wealth that we have in Christ. And, God, remind me and strengthen me for this task of living for you in my home, and in my work. And do so, God, according to the immeasurable greatness of your power, that great might that worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Lord, God, I pray, Jesus is Lord over all. Make him Lord over my life, my marriage, my parenting, and my work. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus and for his glory, we pray this. Take your word and plant it deep in our hearts as we sang, shape and fashion us into the likeness of Christ. By your word, through the power of your spirit, we ask that and pray it. And we do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.